0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 30, the big 3-0. I'm super excited about that. We are back to relating to DevSecOps. We were on a bit of a delay um, just while we got our things together. Uh, Relating to DevSecOps is a podcast where we explore the development, security, and operational issues of today so that we can talk about real-world software problems in the SDLC with people that are facing them on the ground and that may or may not have any experience on things that show up in articles and help videos and things that sell the dream. And so if you like what you hear in terms of our opinions, please like, subscribe and leave feedback wherever you curate your podcast so that we can bring content that matters to you. Today, we continue our left-hand theme of the STLC on requirements, blueprints, and building with a plan. I mean, who builds with a plan, (laughs) right? The question is, do you have exterior doors built with locks? You know, have you thought about your alarm system? Do you do the same things for your applications and workloads that you would do for your house? Isn't that like a common? Simon, you've heard that common security analogy before, I'm sure. Um, Not so eloquently, but yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's the same thing. You know, I, I think when we were talking about this blueprint and pattern and requirement topic, one of the things that came to mind for me was, you know, anytime you're doing any kind of architecture for anything in the physical world, you need blueprints. And I don't think that we think about that enough, especially um, when it comes to security. So we're going to talk about it and uh you know what's the easiest way to get security get your requirements included you know package it together but seriously email I'm yeah <laughs> email no tickets or anything just uh back and forth text documents and all your office products <laughs> that's how we roll um but no uh so you know we're going to talk about reference architectures blueprints patterns how you can use and build them where we've seen them uh you know what, what the real-world scenarios have have uh, looked like to us uh, compared to some of the articles that we've read and some of the dreams that have been sold to us uh, so that you can understand, you know, some of these things actually do exist. The unicorns are out there. Um, so we will be talking about a couple of the articles, and I'll reference those in the show notes uh, that we referenced in the last episode from those feeds that we talked about. Um, and so we are we're heading right into it. So, I thought that it might be good to just sort of uh talk about what a reference architecture is or what I'm talking about as a blueprint or a pattern. A blueprint was used in one of the articles, but uh, i've I've seen them called patterns or you know ways of doing things that are standardized to to build things on um so uh Simon, why don't we just turn it over to you? I've been talking a lot uh how do you look at uh, a reference architecture a pattern you know what is the uh, use case for it, um, and, you know, define it from your end.
1: Define it, man. We're we are we're really turning 30 today with our terminology. <laughs> That's <sake>. right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, if I were to define a reference architecture or patterns or um, any other synonym, um, I would describe it as something that um, your ecosystem, let's say, your... your engineering environment um, requires that will likely be distributed across the board. So it's no longer, um, you know, uh, a feature. It's more of the more of a policy, more of a, uh, you know, a uh, shareable law almost. Um, and, you know, going back to the blueprint, like it's spec- best specific tool or, or framework or standard that you're choosing to implement across the board or across certain pieces of your, your ecosystem to be shared later on. Um, on top of that, I think it is also a very uh, interesting sign of maturity of an engineering work when done correctly, because I think it surfaces a lot of the, the the issues that we've brought up on this podcast by forcing you to really formalize them and have a document outlining what the plan is. Got it. Yeah,
0: How did I do. No, I mean that's that's, <laughs> that's right on there. I mean, I, I was trying to think of it. Um, you know, I was trying to take it back to. Like what? Uh, as I was thinking about it, um, like what a blueprint was actually represent representative of to me, and I remember, you know, sort of looking at uh, building plans, or if you're ever like, you know, building an extension of your house or getting approvals or stuff. That's sort of where that analogy came from for me. And you know, it's a technical drawing, right? It's a it's an engineering drawing. It's a it's a print uh, so that you can sort of envision what the final product is going to look like. It's got all of the measurements, all of the ingress, the egress, all of the, you know, windows, how these things fit together so that you can sort of get an understanding of whether things, you know, based on your understanding of engineering are going to break or uh, have flaws or whether it's going to work or not, especially in hugely complex uh, buildings. And then from that, you sort of, you know, you have different cutaways of it and all kinds of things. Um, and I was in uh I was even, I was in like a spy museum over the weekend and they had these, uh, yeah, they had these like big, you know, models and stuff of uh, all the explosions they did inside of uh, some of the James Bond movies and things. And I just thought, you know, like this is really sort of all of the thought that goes into building these things so that they break the right way or, you know, work the right way or uh, look the right way. Are things that we don't necessarily do when we're talking about software because it, you know it's not necessarily tangible uh, to us, and so we don't see the results until we've we've built it. I mean, if you th- if you think about how we handle software today, I almost look at it as like you know when I when I you know built my f- first woodworking project, it's like I'm just slapping things together. I'm like nailing things to whatever. It's like I don't know what's co- supposed to be, you know, and so we're just building it. And you're like, well, it stands, you know. <laughs> And uh, it goes together and uh, it does what it needs to do, but it's probably going to have some issues in five to 10 years, maybe less. And I thought that was like a pretty good, I mean, for me anyway, it was a pretty good analogy, like seeing that kind of stuff um, when it comes to software. And so all of that is to say that... um, (laughs) You know, I look at the reference architecture as and a pattern as a set of guidelines and structured requirements or structured uh, scaffolding, even inside of a planning document that allows you to minimize your mistakes and uh, minimize your collateral damage based on your understanding of the science or the um, computer science in this case, behind everything, or for me, the security behind it. I know if I have these particular features or these particular this particular scaffolding that I uh, have to worry less about particular types of issues. This is not to guarantee right, that I'm not going to have a leak in five years, but it minimizes that overall risk. I mean, that's sort of how I'm looking at it. So I think that blueprint, reference architecture, uh, scaffolding, um, technical drawing, technical design, those are all things that I I sort of look at as the definition.
1: So I, I agree with you for the most part. The one thing I would probably add, and this is just coming from the land of, of product engineering, and I, I'll use your example of, you know, woodworking, maybe building a chair or something. I, I think it's important to note that, like, the patterns of reference architecture that we're talking here does not encompass... Uh, everything about an application it's everything kind of surrounding that application and, and the interaction between the ecosystem so you know to me uh, there's like a, a pretty big difference between a product engineering let's say like architectural design diagram where you know it's like you need four legs for a chair and like it's made of this like special wood blah 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 and then you've got the architecture reference which is by the way here's some section to make sure like this, these are the load bearing specifications for this chair and you need to make sure that all the chairs you build have these, these kind of checked off the box.
0: Yeah. Would you agree no, I mean, with that? Sort of. I mean, I think that like if we're going down this analogy. So route, many like, metaphors I mean, <laughs> Yeah. you are talking about a chair versus like the, the shed that you're building versus the house that you're building versus city planning. Right. right? I think that what you're talking about are um, the same thing. It's just that you're adding complexity in each of these layers. You still have. You might have new requirements that you have to abide by within a certain context because you're using a different thing or it's a larger scale. But I feel like the the general idea of it is the same. You know, building a skyscraper, those architecture blueprints, diagrams are probably much more complex than building a house, which is much more complex than right. the sketch up you did for your shed. You know, so I think that I think that I look at it like that. That's a totally fair point. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, the the components you choose to use, you know, and, and all that f- sort of fall into it. Um, those are the those are the things that you have control over when you actually start building. Right. When you actually start building, it's, you know you you have like you know what what strength of you know wood you're going to use or what type of wood is it going to be pretty is it going to be you know functional or you know that kind of thing and i think it's very similar so i really like that analogy and i i mean obviously we're talking about reference architecture and blueprint like we use it because they those words relate to each other mm-hmm. so i guess uh trying to get off the analogy train <laughs> um and onto some uh some brass tacks so um, how so? We we know that these are sort of guidelines for us, and they uh, establish some baseline for us to work within. Uh, is that a reality? And if it is, how have you seen that used in the development world, the engineering world, um, inclusive or exclusive of security? I'm not uh, I'm not gonna be biased on this one.
1: Yeah, um, I actually yeah. There's a couple situations I can think of that were definitely involved with security. Um, I, I think just like every other topic we've covered on this podcast, there's always this magic unicorn perfect world where all of us is working the way it should. But I have some examples that actually were successful, and I think this is an important um, practice to be doing if done well. And and the situations where I've seen it done well, I think uh, empathy on the developer, the developer side was key, and, and what I mean by that is um, engineers have their own CI, CD pattern process um, they do to build their applications. And I think if you respect that, and you start from there and, you, you know, you look, you're talking about pattern a well, let's see how this fits into this existing ecosystem, rather than trying to, you know, duct tape it to the side and have it do its own thing. I think that'll cause a lot less friction. Um, and, and one prime example I can think of is, um, I had, I, I worked somewhere where we migrated, um, all of our credentials over to HashiCorp vault. And, um, this was something that obviously was, uh, across all applications we wanted to standardize it uh wonderful pitch from security which was hey uh you won't have to rotate your credentials anymore we know you hate doing that so there's a little bit of a win for your side so empathy looking at you know the the CI/CD pipeline which is something we talked about you know how is this going to affect my build how is this going to affect how I develop and test things and see notice when things break will i have the resources available on my end to actually know when something's not working uh in this case you know the the, the prime you know concern for me if we're going to use this example was uh how do i know that my my credentials are being loaded from the right place you know if i get rid of my my old you know western ways of loading hard-coded credentials how, how do i know that everything's going to be fine uh and you know i don't retry 500 times on the server and lock myself out with this credential that's not getting picked up so Uh, I think starting from that and having both security and engineering in the design to start and building this diagram from here is my ecosystem. This is where you're going to enter enter it, rather than just dropping it in, I think was really successful. Um, i had actually situations where the opposite happened. We were a little bit chicken in the egg. Um, You know, I migrated a bunch of applications over to AWS. That was a mess. Um, It was much more, you know, like, here's our pattern. I don't really know how you operate, but go and make this work. Um, and that was that was very painful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I like the. I think we talked about the vault example. Did we? I, we if it wasn't uh, on episode, have, yeah. we, we talked about the uh, the secret management, uh, just like from a collaboration standpoint between DevOps. And so that, that goes into the empathy component that you're talking about. Um, but I think what I took away from that story, honestly, is. It's important to understand that you don't have to have, and and we've we've said this before, you don't have to have the complete picture when it comes to a reference architecture, or even, and we say that about DevSecOps, right? You you don't have to tackle the whole thing at one time. So if it's just your secret management, and you're like, you know what, we want to figure out how to do this as a standard, you can call it a standard, but it is a part of a reference architecture. So then you can build onto that. Okay, we'll always use this. This needs to be included in every single application. This is how you handle secrets. So that goes into your reference architecture as a single component, and that's it. Uh, and then maybe your next thing is, you know defining which roles uh, are appropriate to be used, you know, inside of your cloud environment or which uh, database you're using and how those databases are structured. You know, those are all samples of reference architectures that could go into a larger one. You know, and it goes back to your example, actually, the, you know, like the chair versus the shed versus the house, you know, all those things sort of um, build on top of each other and they are building blocks. Um, Yeah. Any, any reaction to that?
1: i i i love the way you put that where you know you mentioned you don't have to understand everything um especially when it comes to patterns around the world of security that's not my strong suit it's it's nice to know um that someone is kind of providing that that security backing for you and i can more focus on how it interacts with my my environment rather than having to basically learn all these new things that um I'm, I'm not comfortable with, so I, I I definitely resonate with that, and I think that's where these these reference architecture docs are useful because it's not nitty gritty that it can be maybe overwhelming or daunting for an engineer, but it's enough to see like, okay, here's this kind of cool thing that I need to get integrated, and I think I could do this. <laughs> yep,
0: yeah. perfect. So um, this this is a good segue, and I think we we kind of touched on this already, but. Into why are these things even useful? And uh, from from my end, I think especially from the security side, I didn't even have to go into the you know how they're using security because you sort of explained it right. It's like taking those security components and making them modular and consumable by engineering teams. But uh, they're useful because of that. Because I think one of the one of the hardships that we go through as security practitioners and the engineers go through is that. Um security may or may not be uh, you know great developers and uh, you know engineers may or may not be great security folks. And so what this does is it provides some guardrails to everyone uh, that are known good standards and pathways to a secure product. And so if you know that you need to meet all of these security requirements, if security can package that up into a method of using something, or a way to use something, all engineering has to think about is including it in the correct way, and then security can review that and validate that and move on. Um, I would say that they are extremely useful in that respect because it gives, it gives, a, it gives a lot of people a lot of weight, a lot of guidelines to conduct reviews, validation, and everything, um, irrespective of level. So I can bring in a, jun- a junior security person and say, hey, here is our security pattern. You don't have to know all mm-hmm. these things about AWS, but you need to make sure that these things exist within an application um, deployment. And so that new reviewer can come in and review those things and go through that checklist and be reasonably assured that they're meeting a, a minimum base requirement because they're including these things. Now, should that go through a more senior validation or not? I mean. There are some other topics where uh, we talk about uh, code reviews and whether or not that is an appropriate uh, thing. And I feel like we're going to try to get some folks on that have strong opinions that are opposite to us uh, in the future uh, regarding this. But that's beside the point Um, we but I think that it provides this way to um, help. People with varying skill levels meet the same requirements, and that is that's huge in making sure that security is consistent and reducing the workload on a, on a team like security that is already understaffed.
1: I love that. I I mean, it, it, to me, it's it's literally like a one of the few times where there's a common language between all of us and the world of DevSecOps is actually represented on a page where you know, security understands part, engineering understands part. DevOps understands parts, and together, it makes something that's super cohesive. And, and to your point, you know, some of the, the most confusing, uh, like, security apps that have come through, you know, hey, this is a threat. It'd be a lot easier if it was, hey, this is a pattern that we should be following.
0: Yep. Let's go do that. Um, and I would say one thing that just reminded me of is, uh, it re- it like reduces the number of debates we have to have, honestly, because oh yeah, it means that we we have this debate like this heavy debate around how we're going to do this stuff in general, and then we just debate exceptions to that, uh, as opposed to having to rewrite the you know the whole book every time we approach a new application. Once we get engineering to agree on like a path. From a security perspective, it makes it much easier to have those exception debates than it is to like have the whole the whole hog debate.
1: Yeah, expe- exceptions to the rule are are always so tough. Um, having a unified one place definitely makes that easier.
0: Yeah. So, um, I will ask you this: uh, you know, we we talk about um, sort of where we've seen this in real life. Where where can people find? examples of reference architectures patterns or like even just good coding practices uh, on your side and then i've got some uh, articles that we can post that we've read around where we can find these elsewhere
1: yeah um i mean honestly if you're looking for a place to start i maybe it's a little crazy but i'd suggest maybe just trying to write your own like i don't think there is a prescriptive like signature way that these these documents should be written that should be shared like, i think it's a good practice for an engineer and and folks on security and devops as well to to learn and you know you're trying to figure out what's best for your ecosystem map it out see what you currently have and start adding some some standards Um, i know there's a bunch of like documentation online everywhere i know like some of the larger companies aws has some really awesome resources available Um, they've got some some pretty good architecture reference diagrams that they really just cover everything that aws can have for you out of the box so it's a good way to see you know where is your current uh engineering org what is it missing um and you can kind of pick and choose and see where you want to go but uh yeah i mean my, my two cents would be would be to start start on your own uh have a conversation with your team and, and really just like spend time documenting what you have standards.
0: yep no i mean um you can definitely you mentioned the aws security reference architecture which was uh just launched in, or uh, there was a blog in June, which I'll link, um, and that was the publication of there, and it basically tells you about how to. Um, it gives you a, an overview of how to do, you know, if you, any of your workloads that you're migrating to AWS, you know, here's a good way to do it. Um, and it's a it's a single it's a single pager. It sort of has these, you know, th- how it's sort of like how things fit together almost. Um, so you know, take it for what it's worth. Have a have a look at it. Uh, see if it helps you. Um, it, it gives you some good information around security specific uh, like use cases. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, I do agree with you to say like you know, go ahead and write your own. And one of the ways I found that's great to write a good reference architecture is to take an application that you are satisfied or reasonably satisfied with as a security practitioner or engineer, and uh kind of genericize it right and like see how if that can be applied elsewhere this is the same concept we talked about when we talked about uh you know semgrep and policy as code and trying to analyze things it's like just start with one rule right just start with um the existing application that you have and see if that's going to work for you Um, you can also we we have this article that i'll link that came um uh it was in the cloud sec list which i really love uh, we linked in the in the sort of resources episode as well and it was um let me see if i can find the author so that we can give them proper credit here i'm going to butcher this name anune bat um wrote this article and it has a good it talks about the empathy that you uh referenced, that it has a good reference architecture in there that is not cloud specific um and what i really like about that one is it sort of talks about some of the um application architecture stuff overlaid with security controls. So it's taking these security controls that are cloud specific and also that, you know, that are sort of genericized, like centralized logging. It's like that could be your Splunk, right? So it's it's sort of taking this concept of mixed environments and everything and, and, and overlaying it on that. And you can and it's a good it shows the layers, right? It has uh, the overall security. Architecture that you might want to use, so all the security functions that your organization has, and then how applications fit into that, and that's that's where we're really headed with that, and that's how, that's when it becomes helpful for security. Uh, yeah, what thinking. I really
1: what I really love about that that second article too is the, if you don't know where to start, which application you want to be maybe your gold standard, make a sample app, share it with your security team, start from there. You know, have this centralized code base where you can test stuff out, start to you know commit to certain patterns and, and make that your, your architecture reference.
0: You know, that's the only thing I don't like about the article. What? Yeah, because here's the thing. Um, it, who has time to build a sample app?
1: Uh, your engineering team should have a way to automatically do that, is my two cents.
0: So Sure. That, like, but that-, that is my
1: sanity check as an engineer. Like, auto-create an application that's got all my libraries out of the box and start noodling around.
0: Well, as long as we're being realistic, uh, <laughs> you know... Um, the, it's just, you know, if you have that type of automation where you can just spin up a sample application that quickly, you're probably way beyond reference architectures. Uh, in, I mean, maybe, maybe not, but I, I don't think
1: so. I, I, I think if you're spending that, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot, but maybe you're spending that much time auto generating apps, you may be, you know, sacrificing time spent actually looking at architecture references and making sure that things are standardized across the board.
0: Sure. I mean look if you're if you're in the <laughs> phase where you're automating applications without having a reference architecture then more power to you this should be a really easy process because it yes. means all you have to do is plug and play you know your security functions into this automation and you know that's and you know you're not wrong you can have I feel like if you have some of these other devsecops devsecops practices on the right hand side where automation is very easy you know if this is missing This is something that that your organization can take and make super powerful because it's like, you know what? I have no problem with automation. I have people that can do this. We're good at this. And so if we add security functions, we're in good shape because we can just we have the reference architecture. We plug it in and it becomes automated almost uh, almost immediately. So that would be super powerful um, if that's the case. So I can't I can't really argue with you there. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. If that exists. Yeah. Uh, so, um, that's where you can find examples uh, we'll, we will link that article. I, I think it's, I think it's great. Uh, and I think folks, um, agree and it's been shared on a few channels. So have a read, make your own opinion. Let us know what you think, leave a comment, um, or, uh, send us an email.
1: We're uh, 30 but, now we can take it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, so, Just uh, moving on to the next one. I know we're coming in on the 30-minute mark. We're trying to keep these things down. So sorry if I'm talking too fast for folks. Uh, But you can always hit that slowdown button on the podcast uh, player if you'd like. (laughs) Or speed it up. Or speed it up, yeah. Yeah, if you don't want to Exactly. Um, So uh, how does this relate to DevSecOps. We talked about the SDLC, and we've talked about the differences and, and worked through that. Um, I will say from my side, it's exactly really what you hinted at, Simon, which is that this caters to um, to automation, right? This allows you to take something that is a reference architecture, and if it is predictable, it means it can be automated. And so when, it ta- when we talk about DevSecOps and having a DevOps process and having good security in that DevOps process and modernizing and automating security, this is like a great first step because it helps you identify what you can automate. And if you can't plan it, um, it's probably not good for automation. And this goes back to the, my whole testing argument that we talked about and you know how folks normally, I wouldn't say normally, but I've seen a lot of clients that look at DevSecOps as automated testing. Basically, I run my scans on a schedule and that, if that's not part of your architecture, is it really DevSecOps? Is it really modernizing security and making it easier? Or are you just repeating an ancient process? And so um, I think this is a really good way to look at it. It's like, does it fit into this architecture? Can it be automated, deployed, and configured? Um, you know, I think, that's, I think it's a really good way to identify uh, what you can incorporate into your DevOps and your CI-CD pipeline
1: very well, but I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's a mixer between dev, DevSecOps. We we like to joke that, you know, all three of these different parts of the tech org, you know, hate each other and they step on each other's toes and it's annoying. Well, like, I think this is a way to bridge that gap. And and I go back to, you know, one of my go-to mottos for product engineering, which is you can build the coolest, most useful thing that just like, does everything you could possibly want it to. If nobody uses it and nobody integrates it, it doesn't matter. It really, like, you're not going to go anywhere. And, and I think that's the, sometimes the biggest pitfall when it comes to, you know, security policies, new, um you know, patterns in the world of DevOps, or even product engineering. If, if you don't include it with the rest of your org, it's not worth doing. So this is just a nice way to condense all of that into a language that we
0: and uh, yes, exactly. And I, I couldn't, yeah, I mean, you're Also you're right some,
1: something way. about chairs in there. Let's throw that <laughs> yeah. In there.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can also design great chairs this way. <laughs> um, so uh, as, a, as a bit of a bonus, I also wanted to talk about, uh, and this is just on my mind from a recent engagement about the, the any maturity model that you're talking about or compliance framework that you're looking at. Uh, if you're looking to enhance how you fit in or how you increase your maturity level, uh, this is a great way to do it, right? Because it, oh, yeah. it it checks a lot of the boxes while helping your process. Um, it helps you with um, the, if you're looking at something like a, the OWASP SAM or the Open SAM, it can really help with the, Um, the strategy and metrics component of that. It can really help with the education and guidance. Uh, These security architectures can facilitate your threat models and your security requirements functions. Uh, It definitely is like a beeline into uh, secure architecture. And that's like uh, two large swaths of areas uh, that you are looking at. And then when you're talking about validation, like your architecture assessments or your uh, requirements testing, Mm -hmm. this gives you that, a basic diagram to help you understand what test cases you need to create for all of your applications to make sure that things are being implemented correctly. So this this sets a lot of that in place. And uh, one of the first things that go into these reference architecture, uh, architectures, that's not a word. Architectures. It is now. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> is the, um, as we as we saw, is like the centralized logging. If you read that article, that's one of the things in there as well. It really helps with like the incident response specific to apps. Um, so, you know, those are like three or four areas. If you're looking to increase your maturity in that way, uh, reference architectures, blueprints, patterns are a good way to do that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that was just like the, I had that literally listed in my notes as bonus item. Uh, so (laughs) (laughs) if you have any reactions to that, uh, you know, let me know, um, Simon, because I I think that's probably a bit of a, uh, a curveball to you. So any notes on that?
1: Uh I mean I, I think that makes sense. I think it's just hammering home what we've what we've been saying. Um just like that and that honestly just popped r- another random tangential thought in my head, an an architecture, if you will. Um yeah, I, I think I me mean, we were talking about this in the pre show, you know, we we're trying to think of like, oh, does this really affect people? Like is this important? Um, like does it really show maturity and, and I think, like you, you like pull the words out of my mouth. Like, there's no way, even if you're in product engineering, like these diagrams are overkill. I don't need to worry about this. I guarantee you, you've had to encounter these things in your life, and you've had to deal with them. And if you formalize them in a some sort of pattern or reference, it would it would just make your world so much easier.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, the the retroactive piece is something that I feel is the. I always feel that as the most forgotten phase of any like software development life cycle is like, okay, where, where did we screw up? Right. Because, and, and so it's like in that, in that time is when these patterns can be driven. These uh, lessons learned can be set to requirements. These things can be built little by little by little that eventually make this like really strong left-hand side of the SDLC. And it's, we skip it all the time. And so i just can't stress enough that you know it just takes like you just start with one rule just start with one little tiny thing and uh keep keep the train moving on your on your retros and on your lessons learned
1: yeah i'm a huge proponent of retros like especially when you're talking about like really critical stuff stuff where you know you spent the whole day putting on a fire you don't want to go back and think about how to like you just want to move away go move on with your life like no like the retros are important, patching that is important came up coming up with a policy pattern, really understanding what happened um is is so critical to like you said a mature engineering organization
0: agreed, and we will end on that. That's a strong statement, and we'll we'll take it out there um look i i i mean this is i I really like this uh this topic, and i i I feel strongly about it, so I would love to hear some strong opinions from the audience. Uh, if you have anything to say about it or you want to... Uh, hot takes. Bring us yeah, hot, hot takes. Tanks, <laughs> hot takes. Uh, send us some messages on Twitter at R2DSO. Uh, you can send us an email, security at R2DSO.com. Or, uh, yeah, you can comment. Uh, it's much more public there. So, you know, if you want to go there, we can go there. Um, yeah, but rate, subscribe, um, comment, feedback. We look forward to hearing from you all. And thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time.